0: If you were to pass out of the church parking lot and take a left to go east down Franklin Avenue, after you went perhaps half a mile or three-quarters of a mile, you would encounter a technological miracle, a technological marvel of a very advanced civilization that we have in 21st century America. You would confront... A large platform, which, if you climb to the top on the stairs of that platform, you would see a vehicle, a train, a light rail train. Did you know that each one of those trains weighs approximately 100,000 pounds? 100,000 pounds of mass on a light rail train. And I just want you to imagine for a moment that you were to come to that train having never known what a light rail train was, never having known what a trolley car was. And a group of us would go up there and this thing would just be sitting there on the track and we would scratch our heads and we would say, how does this thing move? You would say, it seems impossible that something this big, this large, 100,000 pounds could move down the track. And maybe 10 of us or so would get behind the train and start pushing on the train and see that it doesn't move a bit. And we would scratch our heads and we would say, this is utterly impossible that something this heavy with this much mass could move down this track. And then one of us who knew what a light rail train was would walk up to us and say, you see those wires going right over the track? Yeah, those make it move. And you say, something 100,000 pounds? Something that big, and they'd say, Yeah, do you see that trolley, that little arm that's reaching out and touching those wires? Yes, if that thing is touching, if that th- arm is touching those wires, that car will move not just five miles an hour, ten miles an hour, twenty miles an hour, thirty miles an hour, but more. It will have all the power it needs to move effortle- effortlessly. A miracle. A miracle that happens when something that seems immovable suddenly receives all the power it needs to move. I start there and I want you to keep that picture in your mind today of that massive, immovable, 100,000 pound train. Because we have taken another step in our portrait gallery of faith, and we have shifted to a woman named Sarah. A woman we read about this morning in Genesis 17, in Genesis 18, in Genesis chapter 21. And we read about one of the most impossible circumstances in all of the Bible. A 90-year-old woman who's, who is told by God, you're going to get pregnant. Ninety years old. As Hebrews 11 puts it somewhat delicately, she was past age. As Genesis 18 puts it perhaps even more euphemistically, she was not after the manner of women anymore. What is it saying to us somewhat delicately? She was after menopause Her body was no longer producing eggs. She had literally no natural mechanism by which to get pregnant. And God said in this impossible circumstance to a 90-year-old woman, you will be pregnant. And how did she respond? By faith. Now maybe it seems odd that Sarah should be here because we read in Genesis chapter 18 the first time she heard this she did exactly what you would have done if, she were, if you were in her shoes. She laughed. And not really the laughter I think of this is a funny joke but the laughter of incredulity. Ha ha, you're crazy. That, that is impossible. And yet, Hebrews 11 tells us that by faith, she received strength, literally power. She received power to conceive a baby. Why? Because, what does Hebrews 11, verse 11, tell us? Because, what did she know about the promise of God? Because she trusted in that promise. Because she was the one who saw the promise of God and judged him faithful. The title of the message this morning is, By Faith in Impossible Baby. By Faith in Impossible Baby. And I want us to look at one side, at God's promise, and I want to look at the other side, Sarah's faith, And then finally, I want to look at our encouragement because this is what this chapter is all about, is encouraging your faith and my faith. No, not for miracle pregnancies necessarily, but for things that seem almost equally impossible. But God tells us to do it. First of all, God's promise. I want us to see, this is the whole heart of this first heading that we're going to look at today. It was an impossible promise. An impossible promise. Why? Well, let's just tick off the ways. It was an impossible promise by nature, by everything natural. As we have just said, as Genesis 18 said, it ceased to be with her after the manner of women. She was no longer able by any natural mechanism to have a child. The natural route to conception and childbirth had closed entirely. Naturally speaking, it was quite literally impossible for her to have a baby. Not only this, it was impossible based on history. On history. Now, we need to go back in Genesis to kind of put the chronology, put the timeline together. Because this will, may blow your mind. Remember back to Genesis 12. We looked at this over the last two weeks. When God said to Abraham, you are in this thriving, prosperous civilization. I want you to leave. I want you to leave. And he gets up and goes. By the way, can you imagine Sarah? Can you imagine Abraham coming home from a day in the field and says, Sarah, pack up. We're leaving. Where are we going, Abraham? I don't know. Wives, what would your response have been? Uh, thanks. Abraham, why don't you go and get a good night's sleep tonight? Because I think you're hallucinating if you think I'm going to go with you. But nonetheless, she went. That was an example of her faith. And yet now, Scripture tells us that at this stage, as God has told Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you a line of people coming after you. I'm going to give you generations that are going to follow you. He had no children. And do you want to know how old he was? 75? We see in Scripture, we can put the chronology together. Sarah was about 10 years younger than he was. That meant Sarah was a 65-year-old woman. She already probably would have given up hope that she could have had a child. Can you imagine for how many years... As Abraham and Sarah lived together as man and wife, they wondered whether she would ever get pregnant. And now she was 65 and Abraham was 75 and God says, leave, but I'm still going to give you a family. Can you imagine how discouraging that would have been? Now fast forward, how, how, long, how long are we after this first promise was made to him? How old is Abraham now? Does anyone know? Scripture told us in our reading, how old? Ninety-nine. 99, and Sarah is 90. That meant Abraham was going on 100. And God says, you're going to get pregnant. Can you imagine Sarah saying, yeah, I've been hearing that, something like that for the last 24 years. Last 20, the last quarter of a century, Abraham has been saying that he's, he's going to have a baby. What would that do to your faith if you had to wait 25 years to get God's promise? if you had to have this unrealized expectation. It is interesting that before this point in chapter 17 and chapter 18, God had never said specifically, at least as we've recorded, that Sarah would have the baby. And maybe that's exactly why Sarah said, all right, it's clearly not coming through me. How do we know that? Well, turn back to Genesis 16, will you? Turn back to Genesis 16. Look at verse 1 with me. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. She was barren. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar, a servant of hers. One of the household staff. And Sarai said unto uh, Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me. He has prevented me from bearing It's God who's done it. God has made it sure that I'm not going to have a child. I pray thee, please go in unto my maid. He says, go sleep with her. It may be that I may obtain children by her and Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. What was this showing about Sarai's faith, that she would ever be the one that would be a mother of children? She said, if you have a baby with my servant, it'll be like my baby, so just go be with her. She already was at a point of despairing that she would ever have a baby. And now, fast forward decades, and God says to her, You're going to have a baby now. How would you respond? How would I respond after that period, that history of delay and of a detour around what God had promised to Abraham? But there's another part here that I think is just so, makes this promise so impossible, so implausible, not just nature, not just history. But Sarah's expectation, can you imagine, maybe some of you have been in that position, the position of wondering if you ever will be pregnant, if you ever will have a baby. Maybe for those of you who have had miscarried children and the pain, the incredible pain of losing a child. And perhaps if you've had multiple miscarriages or those, that that incredible pain, you say, am I ever going to have a healthy child? And I think all of you know what it is to to hope against hope for something, but you don't want to get your hopes up. Have you ever had that in your life where you've really wanted something, but you haven't wanted to get your hopes up because they might be dashed again, causing pain? Can you imagine Sarah, 90 years old, desperately wanting children, and now God says to her, you're going to have a a child? Do you know what would have been in me? No, God, don't get my hopes up. They've been dashed too many times. I have been utterly discouraged for all these years. I don't want to be broken and hurt again. That's what would have been the natural response. In fact, if you think, I, I was reminded of that story in 2 Kings about Elisha meeting that great woman who made that chamber for him to live in. And, and Elisha says to his servant, what does she want? She's done this wonderful thing. What does she want? Does she need something? And, and, her, and, and, and Elisha's servant says, well, she doesn't have a baby. And Elisha calls in the woman and she says, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a child with your husband. And do you know what she says to him? She says, oh man of God, don't lie to me. That's the response of someone who says, I don't want to get my hopes up. Don't lie to me, please. I don't want to be hurt again. All of these things, all of these circumstances were on one side of the equation, weighing against God's promise. It was like a 100,000 pound light car, light rail car that's never moving. And on the other side of it is God's promise saying, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. Now how would you respond if you were Sarah? With the mountain of circumstances on one side, the impossibility of nature, of history, of unrealized expectation. And we get now to Sarah's response. God's promise, an impossible promise. Sarah's faith, a seemingly impossible faith. Well, what was Sarah's response initially? She laughed. It wasn't the response of faith. By the way, that was Abraham's response too. He laughed. Both of these people were weak in faith. Both of these people responded in the same way that you and I would have responded. They're just like us. And yet something about that promise triggered something in them. Go back to Genesis chapter 18. I want to hear something, a question that God asked. Them That must have resonated in their souls. Verse 12 of chapter 18, Sarah has laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, as some translations put it, I'm worn out. I have no ability, natural ability, anymore. Shall I have pleasure? Shall I have the pleasure of a child, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh? Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I have a surety bear a child which am old? Now listen to this question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Can you imagine how that question must have resonated? That wasn't a true question. That was a rhetorical question. What is a rhetorical question? A rhetorical question is one that you ask, because not because you're looking for an answer, but because you're making a point. It was a statement. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And the answer was no. nothing is too hard for the Lord and can you imagine Abraham and Sarah how their faith would have quickened how their faith would have responded when they heard God saying is there anything too hard for me and inwardly the response of faith would have said no God it's nothing's too hard for you not even that a 99 year old man and a 90 year old woman could get pregnant together Sarah's faith was rooted in the word of God in the promise of God in the power of God and I want us to notice three things about Sarah's faith here. I want us to see faith's action. Faith's action. Go back, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 11, will you? Hebrews chapter 11. And look with me at verse 11. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. To, to, to conceive a baby. Now, a pastor I heard who preached on this message said, There was no divine stork that dropped a baby, the baby Isaac, off at Abraham and Sarah's door. This child was conceived in the exact same way that every natural child is conceived. Which tells me that the action of faith was the incredibly impossible idea that a 99-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman by faith said, Let's make a baby. I want you to stop there. I want you to stop there and think about the faith that would have two people say, we're going to conceive, we are going to have a baby because God said, and by faith it happened. That blows my mind just right there, that that kind of faith would lead them to take that step of faith and say, God said. But notice what this passage is getting to. Why did Sarah take that action of faith? Why was she empowered to conceive seed through the ordinary method of conception even though it was an entirely abnormal circumstance? A woman who was no longer producing eggs. A woman who had no ability to conceive child, a child through the ordinary way. Notice with me in verse 11 again. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Why did Sarah take this action? Why did Abraham operate by faith in this same way? Because they said that God was faithful and he had promised. Again, on one side are all the rational considerations. The considerations of age. The considerations of biology. The considerations of emotional attachment. All of them are an immovable object. And on the other side is God's promise. An irresistible promise saying you will Be pregnant. And what made that promise truly irresistible? Because Abraham and Sarah believed it. Because they judged God faithful. And friends, your walk of faith is going to look like this at certain times. The circumstances of life are going to weigh on one side of the equation, and what God has promised that you would do look impossible. And on the other side, all you're going to see is God's promise. And by faith, you are going to be called, like Abraham and Sarah, to say, I believe the promise more than I believe the immovable circumstances of this 100,000 pound light rail train. And that's what walking by faith Looks like. Faith's consideration doesn't look at the circumstances. It doesn't consider the circumstances. It simply considers the promise and whether the God who made it is faithful and true to his word. And so therefore it acts in obedience. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? No, nothing is. And that's all that Abraham and Sarah needed to know if God had truly made them that promise. Now again, I want to come back to that picture for just a minute. There's a 100,000 pound light rail train. It is utterly immovable on that track, but when that arm touches the power of the electrical wire, it has all the power to move an immovable object. And on that train goes. Do you think it was difficult for God to give Sarah a baby? Do you think God really had to work hard in order to produce an egg that could be fertilized in Sarah's womb? Not for a second. No more than it is hard for a 100,000 pound light rail train to be moved when there is an unlimited amount of electricity flowing through the wire above it. It's no more difficult. The question is whether the connection is there. If the connection is there, there's all the power that is needed. If the connection is not there, it is utterly immovable. And so too with your faith and my faith. We have this idea sometimes that faith, the power of faith, is in faith itself. As if, if I just need to screw up my faith, if I just believe, the force of my belief will be the power I need. No, that's just positive thinking. That's just nonsense Faith has no power in and of itself. Faith just knows where to look for the power. Just like that arm of that light rail train has no ability in itself to move the car, the light rail train, the 100,000 pound train, yet when that arm touches where the power is, now the train has all the force it needs to move. And so too with you and me, faith is nothing more Than a channel. Faith is nothing more than the arm that reaches out and accesses the power source to give you and me all the power we need to accomplish God's promises and His purposes for us. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Faith says no, and I'm willing to let God prove it. A walk by faith is that walk by which all of our seemingly immovable circumstances in life reach out with that arm of faith and receive the power from God to do whatever he has promised and called us to do. Faith's action, faith's consideration, and notice thirdly here, faith's result. Will you look with me at verse 12? Sarah judged him faithful who had promised. And he says, therefore sprang there even of one. And him as good as dead. Abraham as good as dead. His own powers as good as dead. So many as the stars of the sky in multitude. And as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. From one man as a result of this faith came the incredible promise of God. I want to pause just on this. Who was the one that received the promise that the descendants would be as the stars of the sky and as the sand which is by the seashore? Abraham or Sarah? Which one received the promise? Abraham. Whose faith did it depend on? Whose faith did it depend on? It depended on Abraham's faith, for sure. But whose faith did it depend on? Sarah's. Do you know what Hebrews 11 is suggesting? Without Sarah's faith, they wouldn't have gotten pregnant. Who was the promise to? Abraham. Who was the descendants from, in this sense? Abraham. Abraham is the father of the faithful. This was God's calling to Abraham. It was his promise to Abraham. And who did it depend on? Sarah. Wives, can we just pause here for just a minute? There may be callings of God for your husband that your faith is dependent on, that depend on your faith in addition to your husband's, not just your husband's faith, but your own independent access to the power of God. Sinclair Ferguson, the great Scottish preacher, said this, Characteristically, he said, a man's trust in the Lord never rises above his wife's willingness for him to trust in the Lord. Let me say that again. Characteristically, a man's trust in the Lord never rises above his wife's willingness for him to trust in the Lord. And this is a message not just to wives today, that your faith may be required for your husband to live out his calling for God and the promise of God to him, but also to say that husbands and men who, perhaps here who are not yet married, your future wife, if you are not yet married, will have an unbelievable effect on your spiritual walk and whether you meet your calling. And I just want to warn you, if you're looking for a woman to be your wife, may she be a woman of faith, May she already be demonstrating her life of faith. May she already be demonstrating her walk of faith in accessing the promises and the power of God or you may be limited in your calling by this same regard. Sarah's faith was used of God to meet the promise and the calling of God for her husband. And what an incredible blessing What an incredible encouragement it was. I just love this aspect that Sarah in Genesis 16 caused such a great detour from God's promise. She said to Abraham, hey, I'm not having any babies. Why don't you go have a baby with my servant? She caused a detour by her lack of faith. And now here in Genesis chapter 18, she is going right down the path that God has for Abraham by this wonderful faith. Isn't this wonderful characteristic of God's graciousness? That the last word on Sarah is not the word of her saying in Genesis 16, go in and be with my servant. The last word is not in Genesis 18, her laughing at the promise of God and saying it can't be. The last word in scripture is Hebrews chapter 11 that says, by faith Sarah receives strength to conceive seed. And friends, I don't care how often you failed in your faith walk to this point. I don't care how weak you look at your faith right now. I don't care how often you look back to your life and say, I've failed over and over and over again when it comes to faith. If you're here this morning, God still has an opportunity for you to exercise faith and to live out a calling that he has for you today. So stop looking at the past. Recognize that in God's graciousness, he's giving you faith to step forward right now. And start obeying him in what he's called you to do. This is Sarah's faith. It acted. It relied on the promises of God and the power of God. And the result of it was that she, Sarah, came into this blessing that was not just hers, but was connected to the calling of God for her husband. God's promise, Sarah's faith. And I want to close by looking at our encouragement. What is our encouragement? How does this affect the way you and I live by faith today? Because remember, that's what this chapter is all about. Who was this chapter written to? People, Christians, who were being persecuted for following Christ. They were getting kicked out of their synagogues. They were being excluded from their communities. They were being cast away from their families. They were being robbed Their money was being taken. Their livelihoods were being stolen. And they were getting discouraged. And this author of of Hebrews is telling them, don't give up. Persevere in your faith. It's worth it. See, even all of the people, the Jews of the Old Testament, they walked with God by faith. That was their source of blessing before him. And I want you to put yourself in the position of those early Jewish Christians What circumstances, immovable circumstances, were in their life? Persecution, rejection, economic loss, hopelessness for their future. And what was on the other side? The promise of God in Jesus Christ is that if you come to him by faith, you will be saved eternally. You will escape the judgment of God. And you will live with him eternally in heaven. What is Hebrews 11 saying? Don't look at all the circumstances of life that are preventing you from walking a life of faith in the the way of Jesus Christ. Look at the promise of God and count him faithful who promised. Don't look at all those 100,000 pound objects in your way. If God has a promise that is to be relied on, simply look at the promise and say, God, you're faithful. Nothing's too hard for you. And act accordingly. You see, friends, what kind of 100,000 pound objects are in your way today? What kind of 100,000 pound objects are in the way of you accepting Jesus Christ for the first time and saying, I'm a sinner who needs to walk with Jesus, who needs to be forgiven by His death on the cross and Him alone. I have nothing on my own merit that would get me into heaven one day. If I were to stand before God and He were to say, why should I let you into heaven today? I have nothing that I could answer with, nothing that would allow me to enter into heaven. I only rely on Jesus' merit. It is only His sacrifice that will take care of my sins. Look at the promise of God and say, He promised he's faithful. I'm going to go with Jesus. What kind of circumstances do you see in your life that are preventing you from being an open Christian, someone who's living out your faith at your school, at your workplace, in your neighborhood? What kind of peer pressure is there that seems like such an immovable object? Look at the promise of Jesus Christ that if we are not ashamed of him, before men, he will not be ashamed of us before his Father in heaven and stand on his promise. What kind of immovable objects are there that are having you discouraged about the coming of Jesus Christ? God says, My son Jesus is coming back to judge all men, my son Jesus is coming back to collect all of his ones. To live with him eternally. And the world says it's been 2,000 years since Jesus left us. It's been 2,000 years. Where's the promise of his coming? Look at all these circumstances that suggest that that coming, you're relying on nothing more than a fiction. And God's people says, no, God is faithful. He promised. And I'm going to keep on standing on his word that there is an eternal hope for his saints. What about this? What about the circumstances that suggest that you can't get victory over that besetting sin in your life? That there is a kind of sin in your life that is simply too difficult for you to conquer. There is simply too much. You are too given to it. You are too prone to it. You have too much of a history in it. I simply cannot get victory in this regard. And then there's the promise of God that says, if you, have, if you are, are, are connected to the Spirit of God, you are free from the law of sin and death in your life. You say, what about that? if we look to the promise that he has for us, we can get victory over even those besetting sins. You see, again, go back to that picture, friends. Go back to the picture of the 100,000-pound light rail car and recognize that that arm that that, that touches the power source, the electrical wire, gives it all the power that it needs to move on. And do you know how many Christians have realized that is the source of power in their spiritual lives too? Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 2 and verse 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. I'm dead with Christ, but I'm alive with him. Yet not I, it's not I who live, but Christ lives in me. It's not I who live in my spiritual life. It is the power of Christ within me by the Holy Spirit that He's given me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Do you know how you'll get victory over besetting sin in your life that you can't seem to conquer, that you fall into over and over? It's not by striving harder. It's by recognizing that there's a power source that you can tap into, the power of God himself that in the moment of temptation can give you complete victory simply when you look to him and say, God, you're faithful who promised and you can give me victory over this. That's available to you today, right now. You don't have to fall into that same sin that you've been falling into in the past. Again, friends... When you reach out with the arm of faith and access his power, it is his power that will flow through you and give you the victory you need. Hudson Taylor, there's a book written about Hudson Taylor's spiritual secret, one of the great missionaries of the church age. And Hudson Taylor was wrestling with this idea of the Christian life. He said, I feel so broken, I feel so discouraged, I'm so often falling into sin. How can I get victory And he said the light bulb went on when one day he received a letter from one of his friends. And this is what was written in that letter. It said, how to get faith strengthened. Not by striving after faith, but by resting on the faithful one. Not by striving after faith, but by resting on the faithful one. Which suggests, friends, that if you're looking for faith today... Don't look toward yourself. Look toward the one who is faithful. What did Sarah do? She didn't consider whether natural circumstances allowed it. She considered him faithful who promised. She looked to him and said, Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. And in that faith, there was all the power that was needed. And I want to encourage you today, friends, there are miracles that need to happen in some of your lives today. Not just miracles that are unnatural in ter- terms of ordinary or biological circumstances, but miracles spiritually of giving you victory over sin, of allowing you to be useful for God, of being a witness for Him wherever you are. And the more you try to look towards yourself and strive for the effort that is needed to do it, the more you will fail. But the more by faith you look to the one who is faithful, who has all the power, who is able to make your 100,000 pound light rail car move, the more you will experience the victory that God intended for you to have. You see, the encouragement of Sarah's faith is not just that there was a miracle baby, an impossible birth. It is that God has miracles, impossible things from a human perspective for you to carry out in your Christian life, in your victory over sin, in your usefulness for the kingdom of God day after day. May, like Sarah, each one of us, by faith, access that power of God and see the blessing that he has promised. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Sarah was not one who looked at the circumstances of her life. She was one who looked most at the one who was faithful and the one who had promised. Father, I pray That for those who are discouraged today, perhaps they've been looking to themselves for the faith that is needed. May each one of us here rest on the power and the promises of the faithful one. And I pray, Father, this morning for anyone here or within the sound of my voice who has never trusted the provision of Jesus Christ on the cross who has never repented of their sin, who has never laid down their own pride and accepted freely the gift that Jesus offers of eternal life and the forgiveness of sins, may today they look to the one who is faithful and accept his free gift of eternal life. Let's pause for a moment with our heads bowed. What circumstances of life seem impossible for you what sins seem too hard for you to conquer remember that light rail car remember the power that god has in jesus christ to do what seems impossible and rest in that in that promise this morning